Hello, everybody, and welcome to Slash Her, a delusional look into the art of horror in all things spooky, kooky, and terrifying. I'm Adrian. And I'm Stormy. And we're back. I mean, <laughs> uh, so this episode, uh, if you're listening to this, it's, I guess, our first, like, main episode in two weeks' time. Our last episode was Alien at the very end of April, and we had a two-week hiatus. I mean, you guys did get a Slasher Talks episode, but we're back, and we're back with a bang, I would say. We are. For our birthday, uh, we gave ourselves time off. We <laughs> <laughs> Instead of, like, a big celebration, we're like, let's just take a break. <laughs> right. It's very important to know your limits, and here we are. <laughs> yeah, well, listen, there is a lot that's upcoming in the next couple of months. Like, there's a lot going on. Um, like this episode, for instance, you guys are hearing it, but it's been pre-recorded. Uh, there's a lot of that happening. Obviously, I mean, you know, the babies are all fully vaccinated, so we're obviously trying to plan out, you know, visits, um, see each other in a safe manner. On top of, I mean, you'll probably be hearing my voice a bit yeah on top of honestly just like trying to not like every day waking up and just feeling like my brain's gonna collapse in on top of everything you know right uh <laughs> but it's all very exciting stuff um and we're not saying that like things are falling apart and we need time it's we're taking time because there's a lot of exciting things upcoming and we're so working really hard for the podcast so yeah we really are i mean we hit that year mark and like out of nowhere i feel like things are like moving like it's crazy. Something lit the fire under us. I think it was the vaccine. <laughs> Just... <laughs> it honestly, it really did. And honestly, uh, before we get into our main topic for the week, the vaccine really has like, it's motivated us, I think, a bit. I mean, obviously the aspect of being able to leave and not feel crippling anxiety is like a big thing. Because now, especially like creatively trying to come up with ideas for the podcast and ways now that we can see each other and like what we're going to be doing when we're together and like what we can create when we're together. And uh, now there's like festivals again and there's like, um, there's like, going to be a horror festival here in Vegas in like a few weeks. So you know, there's a lot of stuff happening. Uh, there's a lot going on. The world's kind of coming back. Uh, the movie theaters are here. Movies are dropping left and right. Uh, Spiral, of course, is, well, by Ooh. the time this comes out, has already come out. Uh, so there's just like, there's a lot going on. And there's a lot that we, of course, want to do. And, you know, we're just hoping for the best moving forward because I'm really excited, really. Yes. Excitement, fingers crossed, toes crossed, just all the things. <laughs> Yes, yes. But today is a big episode. This is the first time that we are going to be discussing two films in one episode. Big deal for us. <laughs> I was going to say, if you really think about it, if you've seen these films, which you should, they're amazing. They're kind of one big film. Yeah. So it's fitting. You can't talk about one without talking about the other. It's perfect. They go hand in hand. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yeah. And so obviously, guys, this week, we're going to be just pretty much doing a big, huge discussion on both Insidious and Insidious Chapter 2. Uh, and since we are pre-recording, we really don't have any this week in horror uh, because the weeks are going to be off. So and that might it might be that way for a couple episodes. Give us some time to kind of get back into the gist of this week in horror, because again, we're going to be pre-recording a few things. So the next few episodes that come out over the next few weeks are going to be pretty much just the main movie discussions. But you know, we're still bad bitches, so we're going to make it work. <laughs> oh, just call me Brittany. I'm back. Oh, period. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, Insidious. Uh, both films are, honestly, 
like you said, they go hand in hand with one another. So we might as well just like jump into the discussion on both films. And we're going to go ahead and start with Insidious. Insidious is a 2010 horror film that follows the Lambert family as they recently moved into a new home. As they begin to settle in, things start to take a turn for the dark and wicked. When their son enters a comatose state, Josh and Renee look to Elise, a medium to lead them into a realm known only as The Further. Originally released on April 1st, 2011, the movie quickly became a favorite amongst horror fans. This led the movie to have three sequels that were met with mixed reviews. Made on an estimated budget of about $1.5 million, the film would go on to make about $13 million on its opening weekend. It would then see a worldwide gross of about $99 million. The film was brought to life by the amazing James Wan, who of course is responsible for Saw, The Conjuring, Dead Silence, it goes on and on. Uh, alongside him was a very strong cast of characters brought to life by some phenomenal actors. Patrick Wilson is Josh, Rose Byrne is Renee, Ty Simpkins is Dalton, Lee Winnell is Specs, Agnes Sampson is Tucker, Barbara Hershey is Lorraine, and the amazing Lynn Shay is Elise. Okay, well, Insidious. <laughs> okay, so this movie at this point is over 10 years old. Um, and quite honestly, it still hits. It does. Um, I think I've seen it so many times that I don't jump anymore. Um, I'm quite literally able to warn other people like, mm, you should watch out because this is about to happen. <laughs> and I think I kind of ruin it for people in that way. And I, but I wa I've watched it so many times because I loved it and it holds like a sense of nostalgia because this came out right as I was graduating high school. Like I was in the prime of my life at that time. I thought <laughs> I was in the prime. <laughs> So there's just a, a lot of memories that this movie holds for me. So you watched this around its initial like release time then? Oh yeah. I watched it like the summer of its release. I didn't get to see it in theaters. That's insane. The first time that I watched this movie was last year, actually, like mid quarantine, mid lockdown, mm -hmm. height of Corona uh, was the first time that I had seen this movie. Because I remember when it first came out, I was very adamant about watching it because at that time, even like, you were just hearing the rumblings of how scary the movie was. So I remember I had rented it. I was working at uh, a local establishment in our hometown called Taco Box. Uh, and I remember I had gotten off of work. I was 17. I think I was 17 at the time. 17, 16, around that age. Uh, and I remember I, of course, was driving around. I had gone to, where did I rent it from? Oh, Redbox. Redbox was like the thing at that time. Like Blockbuster and everything was like out of the picture and Redbox is like where you rented movies. Um, so I remember I had gone and I rented Insidious. Actually, maybe not. Maybe it was a couple years after release. I think so. Maybe it was around 2012, 13-ish is when I had first like gone and rented the film. And where I put it on, I started watching it and I fell asleep within 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> so the next day, again, I went into it. I tried to watch it uh, within like 15, 20 minutes. I fell asleep. I don't know if I was just very busy at the time in my life. I just mean, so tired. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to, quite, I mean, in my defense at that time, I was working, uh, pretty consistently for like a six for a fucking 17 year old on top of taking you know all of my fucking classes heading into my senior year and that semester I also started taking um dual credits so I was doing a lot of college courses that year also so in my defense I was very swamped uh but the movie put me to sleep twice so in my mind immediately I was like this movie's boring <laughs> 
I was like, she's boring. I gave it two chances. I did. She gave, I gave it, I gave it the best I could. Uh, it put me to sleep twice. And what's funny is the conjuring also did that to me. I remember, I mean, we haven't talked about the conjuring and I could save this for that podcast episode whenever, but I remember when I went to go watch conjuring, I watched it in theaters when it first came out and I fell asleep in the movie theater watching the conjuring. Adrian, I know. <laughs> I know. So for some reason, for years, and it took a little bit for me to rewatch The Conjuring as well, because I had fallen asleep. And I was like, this is not scary. This is not. <laughs> it was the same thing for Insidious. I was like, it's just not hitting something about it. It's not working for me. But it's crazy is because James Wan now, I mean, of course, in my current day and age, I realize how fen- like how phenomenal he is and how much he's given to the horror genre altogether. But at this time frame, I was like, I wasn't like a fan of his films. I had mm-hmm. watched Saw. Uh, Insidious and the Conjuring put me to sleep. Dead Silence was, uh, I love her now, but at that time, I like it wasn't what I was expecting it to be. So for whatever reason, back in my fucking high school days, I was just not feeling his movies for whatever reason. Um, so finally, when I rewatched this movie, I was like, wow, I really fucked up. Like this movie was amazing. And I was like so behind on the times. Like my boyfriend who does not <laughs> watch horror movies was like, you've never seen Insidious? I was like, no girl, I have not. And he's like, uh, well, you need to watch Insidious because it's fantastic. And I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And it's great. I don't know what I was thinking for so many years. Right. I remember when you announced... I think it was on a podcast episode where we were talking about like, and you're like, oh, I haven't seen Insidious. <laughs> and then I remember chastising you. And then somebody else called you out on Twitter and you're like, don't worry. I'm literally you're in the right. process. And I was like, ah! excited. <laughs> oh my God, dude. I forgot that that's literally what led me to watching it. Cause I mentioned it to my boyfriend. And at that point he was like, you, you have, everybody was attacking me at that time for not watching <laughs> insidious and it's probably one of the earlier podcast episodes damn that's crazy yeah well that's what led me to watch it finally and i was so obsessed that i watched the second one immediately i know i was so impressed like a double feature right off the back i was like wow yeah and let me tell you um at the time this was before i had moved in to my current home uh with my boyfriend at that time he was still residing with his parents and like their ac had broken down so when we were watching insidious one and two like it was like we were sweating it was like a whole experience like i'm in hell right now i was like oh my god 4d love that i didn't have to pay extra um but we were like sweating the entire time and like everything was so intense and the music of course is stunning gorgeous uh but it was really a moment for me and i was like what was i thinking who was i as a 17 year old but at that time to be quite honest and i think i probably discussed it on the podcast before from high school heading into like my early college years for whatever reason i was just like very trying i was just trying to like I guess, figure myself out and like have mm-hmm. a, a direction in life. And for whatever reason, like in terms of like my horror watching, it kind of fell off at that time. I think, like you said, um, I think that was like peak me. Like that's peak, uh, like who I thought, that's when I thought I was like the best I could ever right. be. I like lost 80 pounds. Um, I was like, oh my God, I'm stunning. I'm going into broadcast journalism. <laughs> I'm going to be an anchor. I'm Gallivers. <laughs> <laughs> it was very much that. So at that yeah. time, like, Horror movies, for whatever reason, just did not keep my attention. I would have my comfort um, movies, obviously, that I would watch consistently. And I started watching Buffy around that time as well. So, like, that was, like, what I was, like, digesting. But most horror movies, for whatever reason, just didn't interest me at that time. It took a little bit for me to kind of get back into, like, consuming it at the rate I'm consuming it now. Um, Right. But I don't know. I'm just so disappointed in myself. I'm so disappointed in my 17-year-old self for just, like, giving up on the genre for a bit. Because I missed a lot of these 
uh, like James Wan films and like the height of like their popularity, I guess you can say. And it disappoints me. I can relate on so many levels because genuinely, I think probably I went out up, like we were talking, I went into my peak and I thought I was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Sadly, I realized that was not true. No, just kidding. Um, Yeah, I went into my peak and then after that I got married and he wasn't interested in horror. Like, I like Insidious was probably one of the last movies that I can vividly remember being super interested in. And then, yeah, you brought me back into it with the last shift and here we are. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are, uh, you know, doing our best to make our way through the genre. Because um, again, yeah, I really fell off, which is uh, very unfortunate. And these are, this is one of the movies, um, well, I guess both of them. These are like some of the movies that I had missed out on experiencing especially in theaters. I don't know why I didn't give them the opportunity. The crazy thing is, though, I did watch Insidious 3 in theaters, and I remember that movie pretty clearly, and I loved it. And I remember at that time, I was like, why didn't I, why haven't I seen the first two? I'm very confused. But, you know, it was an empty theater, and there was like four of us in there. It was like me and my friends were the only ones in the theater watching Insidious 3. But of course, I left. I was like, fuck, that was a good movie. What the fuck am I thinking? But then, you know, schoolwork awaited, I guess, or whatever. I have no idea. My memory is so shit. I don't even know what I was thinking <laughs> in those days, girl. I really don't. It's called suppressing our trauma. <laughs> that's, what, <laughs> that's what it's called, not memory loss. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait to get into the psychology part of this movie. I'm so excited to talk about Insidious, so. Honestly, same. It's amazing. I mean, from the jump, the movie pretty much immediately i mean we get the amazing um like score and music from the jump like that now <sighs> iconic uh violins violin. oh i hate it i hate it it grates my not my nerves but like i guess it is my nerves it grates my <laughs> nerves because like it just makes me anxious and i know that's what it's supposed to do but i hate it you know what's so crazy is that sound mm-hmm. is still synonymous in terms of like being or i guess like you said like uh something that can make you very uncomfortable and is very scary because that is still all over TikTok. Like, you know how mm-hmm. many times I hear those fucking violins on TikTok? It's insane. I hate it. Well, and um, tiptoe through the tulips. Yeah, Tiny Tim. Yeah, iconic. Yeah, that's all over TikTok as well. It's crazy, mm-hmm. to be quite honest, how much of a staple this film is in terms of horror movies. And I guess at this time frame, a lot of younger kids, any, I guess, I guess, TikTok primarily is ran by Gen Z. <laughs> um, but if you think about it, I mean, most Gen Z now is like, what, like 18 to 20 something. So this movie came out in when they were children. So that those sounds probably really kind of resonate with them because that's literally all you hear is fucking sounds from this movie on like mm-hmm. horror talk or whatever the hell they call it. Horror talk. <laughs> Follow us on, <laughs> on TikTok <laughs> slash underscore underscore pod. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the movie's insane. It starts off immediately, just of course, like taking us through a dark, scary house. And we see uh, the woman in black as we kind of come to know her in this movie with the violin screeches, iconic, legendary. But the movie immediately begins with the Lambert family, uh, Rose Byrne, who's stunning, gorgeous. I love her and everything that she's in. She's so soft. You know what I mean? Yeah, she looks very <laughs> soft, very supple, very. Uh, hmm. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She looks like. Uh, she looks very airy. Does that make sense? Like she just carries herself. Like, I don't know. She looks like she's floating. <laughs> <laughs> she looks like fluffy. Not well, okay. <laughs> 
anyways, they just moved into a house. <laughs> yeah, well, when we joined them, they moved into a new house recently. Like, we don't really know why yet, uh, but we see that Rose is already, she already seems overwhelmed uh, from the jump, or Renee, excuse me, her name's Renee in the film. Uh, but she's already looked, she already seems overwhelmed. And obviously they have three children, um, two younger boys and a baby girl. And from the jump, again, everything just seems very discombobulated. Josh himself already seems the husband, Patrick Wilson. He already kind of seems like he's disconnected from the family in a weird way. And immediately like we're thrown into the spooky and the supernatural, like right off the bat, Rose is already, <laughs> I keep calling her Rose, Renee is already, uh, facing some spooky shit like right from the jump and I think one of the most ridiculous scenes is when that fucking baby monitor when that fucking demon screams at her through that baby monitor and she of course she reacts as she should like she freaks out and runs upstairs but like I I mean it's a cab all day but like I (laughs) I probably would have called the police like if I heard like something that deep and aggressive in my baby's room well I would call as I'm running upstairs (laughs) maybe (laughs) because that shit was terrifying as fuck as much as I talk about like just sacrificing my daughter to whatever <laughs> is out there, like if you listen back, I really do be like, oh, don't have a child anymore. <laughs> but <laughs> in reality, I feel like it would be a little bit of both. I would be like one of those like two step moments and then I'd probably run upstairs. Yeah, it's like one of the I think it's like the motherly instinct. I mean. Uh, we talked about it a little bit with Jordan in our Slash Her Talks episode too. Just like sometimes with moms, uh, I mean, at least it's what we're told. It's kind of like a thing that people like to put out into the media and to the world. Like, like there's like that mom strength when the adrenaline kicks in and you know, you'll do anything to protect your offspring and you can fucking lift fucking cars and toss them over your head like the Incredible Hulk, apparently. Um, so maybe that, she just like, she immediately just ran upstairs and she burst into that room. And like, I was like, girl, what if somebody was in there? Like, what would you do? shove him straight out that window (laughs) my mom's strength my mom's strength i'll pick him over my head and crack his back on my (laughs) knee like where hulk picks up loki and just fucking swings him around (laughs) yes you know what i was also thinking i don't know if you watch dc movies uh but the dark knight in the dark knight rises bane who's played by tom hardy who has the most gorgeous lips in in the fucking daddy god those lips okay we're off base but honestly he can wear the mask stays on though (laughs) no i need to see those lips no mask i mean it's fine whatever (laughs) Uh, the mask is on to start with (laughs) okay you're right you're right you're right you're right for for sure um okay so uh (laughs) in the dark knight rises bane picks up batman and like cracks him over his back just cracks him over his knee (laughs) and so uh in that instance you know my mommy strength would kick in and that's what i would do probably right (laughs) that'd be my goal if i was rushing to the room i was like i want to fool bane ass this bitch and i'm gonna make sure that his back is cracked okay so i'm built like a linebacker right so (laughs) i could i feel like i would like barge in and like tackle him out the window but we're probably both going out the window (laughs) (laughs) oh my god that would be okay imagine you're walking down the street you're on the sidewalk school just like at 3 p.m you're a you're a smooth 12 years old you know i don't know why uh-huh. 
I just always say 12 because fucking Arl Stein makes every single character in Goosebumps 12. But you're 12, right. you're walking down the sidewalk, and all of a sudden, the new <laughs> family has just moved into town. And out of the window, so mom just bursts through the window screaming. And it's a fucking ghost, so there's nobody there. It's just her bursting <laughs> through the window. And she kaplops right onto the lawn. Like, <laughs> imagine that poor child, that poor 12 year old. <laughs> he just sidesteps and is like, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. But yeah, Renee apparently is going through it like right from the jump. Poor baby. But we also have the, or we're also told, or I guess we learn at this point as well, that Dalton, uh, the eldest of the two boys, I believe, right? Yeah. Um, he apparently has a lot of nightmares. He's been having a lot of scary dreams. And at one point, obviously, he's in the attic. Uh, I don't know, like, why was the attic so easily, like, accessible for him? I feel like that's, like, a that's a hazard. I feel like that's one of the things you should do when you first move into a home is, like, try to child-proof everything. If you're a parent, I don't know. I don't know right. the ins and outs of being a parent. Maybe they just, they hadn't got there yet. She's got a lot on her plate. She's still trying to compose while she has three children and a husband who honestly just useless girl right so useless he's pretty but <laughs> so hot but literally so useless like right from the jump she impacted the entire house by herself as far as we know right she impacted and he does one of those things where there's like literally there's breakfast on the table and he grabs a bagel and he's like okay bye and she's like you're not gonna fucking help with anything and she's like mm, you gotta go <laughs> Don't you hate when they do that when people in movies just like fucking pick up one thing from the table? Because there's always in every movie, there's a smorgasbord. There's cereal, <laughs> there's fruit, there's toast. There's, there's so many things. And they grab like a fucking banana and they're like, bye. I'm like, I'm taking a fucking bagel, bitch. Like I'm going to roll a pancake up. <laughs> what do you mean? You see those, imp- like those expectations that they put on moms in these movies. Like they expect people to come down the stairs and moms and tv shows they always have like it's like the fucking holiday inn like they have the whole fucking continental breakfast <laughs> and you're like what is happening right. like i would wake up and my mom would like just be screaming at me and i would have to like grab a goger and like fucking run out the door like i wasn't being <laughs> fucking pampered like this i mean again right that just wasn't my experience <laughs> um if you're waking up and you have like a full breakfast a fucking a buffet of options in the morning you can you can have a little bit of everything and you go to school and you fucking get straight a's that's great that wasn't me so uh, this whole scene was ridiculous can't relate <laughs> yeah i don't know what the fuck they're thinking and she's doing all that on top of unpacking on top of like calling she's on the phone and with she's who? on the phone with like I don't know, somebody that she needs to talk to an actual associate, which I feel her pain because she's like literally talk to an actual fucking human. You know, the automated system on the other line is like, I'm sorry, that prompt isn't understood. It's been 10 years. Why haven't we gotten past that? You know how often I'm screaming agent into the phone today? (laughs) Literally today. Like, what are we doing? Like, let's fix this because that's annoying. I mean, I just saw a video today. I don't remember if it was you or Shannon that sent it to to me. Right. Google is supposed to make phone calls and like fucking make appointments and shit. And I'm like, okay, but my Google can't even (laughs) understand the fact that I want to listen to Lady Gaga in the morning. So how (laughs) in the fuck? I tell my Google to set an alarm and it just doesn't do it. (laughs) It's like... (laughs) It's like, got it. And then never turns it on. He's like, oh shit, sorry. And I it forgot. literally never goes off. So I don't know. I don't know when that new fancy ass Google assistant. And that's like, did, did we miss, did we miss the update? <laughs> I don't. That little, uh, whatever that, that little presentation that I sent you, my boyfriend showed that to me last year and it's barely going viral on TikTok now. So I don't know when the fuck we're getting that assistant. Maybe it's on the phones, right? Android or whatever. 
<laughs> yeah. But still, my Google Home should still be just as capable as my Google app. You would think, not to get into like um, what Google's doing, because uh, they're probably listening right now. You know they really are. Also, honestly, fuck Siri too. I, I literally can be like, hey, Siri, hey, Siri. And I like change my tone. I'm like, hey, Siri, hey, Siri. And <laughs> no fucking nothing. But I could be talking shit, cussing somebody out. And Siri is like, I'm sorry, I didn't understand. I'm like, bitch, <laughs> I did not say anything remotely close to Siri. The frustration. Honestly, How I did could... we get on this? <laughs> I don't know. Apparently, you're really upset about Siri. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, okay. You editing? Yes. You're just like... <laughs> <laughs> in the editing bay. I'm like, girl. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so Dalton's up in the attic for whatever reason, and he falls off the ladder. And so the following right. day, he pretty much goes into like a coma initially. So yeah, he goes into a coma. Um, they spend... I, I'm sure they describe how long that they're in the hospital. But they spend an indiscre- like a ridiculous amount of time in the hospital. They end up bringing him home, and honestly, how can they afford this on a teacher's budget? Because you're a teacher's child, and I have teacher friends. They don't make what they should. Sure. So how are they affording this? Does the school have really great health insurance? Are we in America? What's does Renee come from? Money? You know what? I feel like Josh kind of does because in the second movie, like that house is very like full of antiques yeah also they move in this movie again so like they right so they can afford to move out of the house that and i'm I'm gonna assume they bought it so maybe josh is like a youtube sensation or something <laughs> he's a tiktok star <laughs> he has like he probably has like youtube tutorials like teaching children how to do stuff in an easy manner or something i don't know because they really have money and i don't understand from what Maybe his mom made a deal with the devil or something. That or Renee like had a really great, like she's a one hit wonder <gasps> and she got paid big money for that. And now she's just trying to like catch up to that again. Or quite honestly, maybe she's like a songwriter. Maybe she sells songs. I mean, that's what she is. Yeah. Cause she's like making sheet music and she's like plays the piano. So she's probably sold some songs and probably has some money saved up somewhere or something along those lines. I don't know. We really don't get much on her. She's just there to be a panicked individual. So, you know, she does her best. I will say though, that I fucking die of laughter every time it cuts to the scene where Dalton's in the hospital. Cause it just like random shift changed. Like the lighting is immediately shifted to like the twilight hue. Yeah. The blue. Yeah, immediately we're, like, made to, like, feel sad, which, I mean, it is a very sad situation. Right. But it's very random. It's, like, two minutes long just so the doctor can be like, we don't, he's perfectly healthy. I don't, we have no idea what's going on. Yeah, <laughs> it's unexplainable. Oh, it's not like we're in a supernatural movie. So we get that. <laughs> oh, I feel like we didn't need to go to the hospital to know that. Not literally at all. But it does jump from three months or jumps three months later. So he's been in a coma for three months. He's back home. Uh, the nurse is teaching Renee, which I think is a great moment. I think it's really cute for whatever reason. Um, and I I don't know. I feel like, I don't know, this actress is great because I always feel like she's a real nurse when she's explaining everything to Renee. I'm like, wow, she just seems so intelligent. I hope she's a real nurse. She's so knowledgeable. I was just going to say the part where um, Foster looks at his mom and she he's obvious, quite obviously terrified. And she's like, what's wrong, honey? And she's like, I really hate when Dalton gets up at night. And I was like, like that one TikTok where she's like, what did she say? (laughs) That's how I felt about that. My sister says that all the time. That makes me laugh. 
I love that. Yeah, that part's really fucking scary. And that's when we kind of get like the breakdown of everything. Like Renee's trying mm-hmm. to explain to Josh that things are happening. And he, per usual, as men do in these movies, are just like, oh, well, uh, it's nothing. We already moved from the first house. and He literally says it's nothing, but yet he's staying till like 9, 10 p.m. at the school because he's a pussy. So mm, drag him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so Dawson's obviously in this dance. I love, obviously, again, where shit kind of breaks down, where they're in the room, Renee and Josh are having a moment. Um, they're in love, whatever. And then, like, the banging starts happening on the door, and then shit pretty much starts to fucking hit the fan. The door's wide open. Uh, that would make me shit my fucking pants if I was walking downstairs and my front door was just wide open. Again, right. cab, no. But I would probably call the police. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know if I would continue going downstairs i feel like i might go back up which is probably like the dumbest horror movie decision to ever do is go back upstairs where (laughs) but like i also don't want to be downstairs with whatever opened my my front door and then the alarm's going off and that's disorienting alone Mm -hmm. no if my front door is wide open like that i'm grabbing my family and we're just gonna run outside and like run to the street and just wait. And <laughs> just wait. Wait for whatever happens. I mean, yeah, obviously, because I'm like, I'm just not gonna be in that house at that point. I'm I'm out of there, girl. I'm done. Right, but he wants to go back to bed. No, man. What a moron. <laughs> he's so stupid in this first movie. He really is like an idiot. I mean, we kind of come to understand because he's he's repressing all his memories. So he just seems a little discombobulated for a specific reason. Um, but yeah, he's so so stupid. Um, but that's when Renee runs into the room of the baby, or she runs into the baby's room and that random ass demon ghost like vampire guy. man. <laughs> He's, He's just there chilling. chilling. Also, <laughs> why who who makes their baby's nightlight red? That is the most like terrifying. Like I would set up red lights for like a scary movie to set the the mood. I'm not gonna put my actual baby in red lights because honest, quite honestly, I could walk in and my baby's completely fine. There's no ghosts, and I'd be like, "That's a fucking demon." Let me tell you. Uh, of course, with red lighting, yes. I mean, we just get the I- red means danger. We're taught that from a very young age. We are already. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like we're like programmed, preconditioned, like, preconditioned to already assume that red is scary or danger or stop. Like you need to be like uh, you need to be Hot. married. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, red lighting is quite honestly the most soothing lighting. Um, it's the least harsh, but it also allows you to literally visibly see everything. Like if you were to put on a red light and read a book, you can read it clearly, and it doesn't strain your eyes. It doesn't hurt you in any way. Well, it doesn't like hurt your eyes anyway. Red is a very soothing light and it i typically in our home like we have usually as soon as like the sun sets like if it's not like it's just like a low like orangey color like it's red because it's visually the easiest lighting to see in although yes it's terrifying <laughs> i'm gonna be terrified i'm gonna be walking around Neil's house like <laughs> on the ready i'm gonna punch somebody straight in the fucking face <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I mean, I, I, it's obviously a directorial choice to be spooky because yeah. it's red lighting. But from a parent standpoint, it's probably good for the baby's eyes if it were to wake up and like the light is, if it's all red, it can see clearly. It's my assumption. Fair. I would probably still think my baby's a demon. I mean, I don't blame you. Honestly, if that baby monitor, like if that voice happened, I, my first thing would be my baby's haunted. <laughs> my baby's the devil she's literally a demon child like i don't know what to think at this point yeah but they freak out uh 
Josh and everybody at this point Renee is over it and she wants out of that fucking house which I don't blame her so they immediately move into another house like again out of nowhere they just have fucking money and they just move for what reason I, I mean I guess because she's scared but at that point we I realized- just unpacked all of these boxes I'm not gonna pack them back up we're hiring a moving service we're <laughs> But they already have to buy another house. I don't know how they're going to afford a moving service now. Right. Well, I'm not doing it. Josh can do it. (laughs) But yeah, so they end up just getting the fuck out of there, which I mean, sure, whatever. It makes sense that they would want to leave. And I guess it's kind of nice because more like most times in movies, in like haunted house movies like this, when there's they stay in the house. Yeah. When crazy shit's happening, we're like, why are they fucking not leaving? And this is already the second instance that they've done this. So as a family, they're trying their best to get away from whatever's happening and it just keeps following them. There's actually a haunting that in the next probably like campfire stories I'll probably go over. Um, but it's like this woman and her children, and they're being her children are quite literally being harassed by fucking ghosts or demons or whatever you want to call them and they're being tortured and they're being like levitated and thrown around and they have to stay because unfortunately they're like below poverty like they can't afford to move so she's literally stuck in this fucking situation and they were tortured for like years we talked about this did we Mm -hmm. i brought it up in um i think maybe it was a chilling and killing episode Oh, I think wow. we talked about it because that's when they started seeing flies at the very beginning. Remember? Yes, it was like the mom, the grandma, and like two kids. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes, okay. Yes, okay. Yes. Okay. Such a good story. So, guys, go to our children and killing episode <laughs> and listen to that story in uh, as much detail as I can provide. Because apparently, I, I, I probably didn't do well, but go listen to it. Um, but yeah, but they move. We're introduced. Uh, we're introduced to Josh's mother at this point, Lorraine, played by Barbara Hershey, and she's no stranger to being in horror movies because she was in the 1982 film The Entity. Which have you ever seen The Entity? No. She is literally um, T.W. Trigger warning. She is literally like, like haunted and molested by a ghost. Like oh. that's what the movie is. Like she's literally being so sexually assaulted by oh yeah very similar yes 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 very that uh but she's in that movie and she does great in that movie so she's no stranger to supernatural entities but she's amazing she's obviously here helping them unpack so we and we get introduced to her she doesn't do too much in this movie um she makes up for it in the sequel <laughs> yeah they literally gave her her moment to shine in the, in the second movie we'll go over it because honestly i i laugh um but at this point also is when things are starting to kind of break down and we have one of probably the most infamous horror scenes of like ever probably at least of like the last 20 years when they're at the table and oh the directing is just phenomenal james wan just he knows what he's doing when he's directing he quite honestly has given again so much to the horror genre like he's given us so many different franchises literally saw has another movie coming out this year like that franchise is still feeding us fucking hungry ass bottom bitches like he's he's done so much conjuring three comes up this year as well he gave us that and there's already insidious five is already in the works like he has fed us thoroughly and he just he knows what he's doing so this scene is amazing because it's just quick cuts from each individual it's renee lorraine and josh at the table and it's obviously lorraine kind of explaining that this has happened before uh this has been something that josh has experienced before as well and so these quick cuts are happening they're happening we're happening it's kind of discombobulating the audience in a way and then we cut back to josh at one point uh and the fucking lipstick demon is right there quite honestly so fucking scary that's our first glimpse of the lipstick demon right 
Um, I do believe a little bit earlier in one of like the spooky, scary scenes, like you can see his like shadow in the oh, corner right. of the room. That's the first time you see like his full on though. <laughs> yeah. Um, and honestly, nowadays, before I was terrified, I've seen it so many times now that all I can see is him from the Powerpuff Girls. Oh yeah. And so <laughs> he gives very him energy. Um, yeah. And now he's like kind of iconic. Like I kind of want to see him in drag. Uh, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, oh my god! Somebody on Dragula, please do like a lipstick demon inspired um, book, please. I need it because that would be so fucking hilarious. Where's Sydney when we need him? Oh my god! Yeah, Sydney girl, do it, please. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, so we had that amazing moment, and it's it just hits. It works so perfectly, or it does mm-hmm. what it's supposed to do. Like it's literally so terrifying, and I still jump when it happens and i've seen the movie a handful of times at this point so between the lipstick demon the peekaboo doll the like weird fucking vampire guy and the uh lady in black like who like which one's your favorite um in this movie obviously the lipstick demon is like the star of everything yeah. mm-hmm. uh the woman in black as we'll be discussing that character well they it right now they're being called the woman in black we'll get into who it actually is when we discuss right. the second film uh it's kind of like a side villain like obviously this is the individual because when lorraine's of course explaining what josh went through as a kid um the woman in black can be seen in pictures it's following him it's getting close to him um it's a very aggressive entity it wants his body um so she's very <laughs> honestly terrifying. i can relate though <laughs> yeah <laughs> they're very terrifying the woman in black is very scary but yeah, the Lipstick Demon is really the star of this movie. It's very spooky looking. And I mean, I guess, I mean, we always jump all over the place. And like its whole like MTV Cribs moment, like that whole fucking <laughs> room that it has in the further is insane. Like she's right. fully decked out. She is a full diva. She has like trinkets and it's just beautiful. And it looks very luxurious. And she's just like, she's living her, she's sharpening her nails. Sharpening her nails. Sorry. She's living her best life. She's, she's, mm-hmm. yeah. Listening she's, to Tiny Tim as loud as he fucking can. <laughs> girl like what the taste is immaculate <laughs> right <laughs> i personally doesn't resonate with me but you know go off <laughs> it's your and it's your moment in the further right the further is where you go to <laughs> exist and live your best life so there you go yeah can't you lie girl uh and the tiny tim song obviously is also, I guess, pretty synonymous with this movie as well. If not SpongeBob, then it's Insidious. Uh, right. And that scene always makes me laugh. Like you said, like the little peekaboo doll or like the little kid or whatever it is when Renee is walking outside and like the music changes and it's inside the house and she like follows it. I quite honestly don't think that's a scary scene. Um, and like, Oh, the that's still terrifying to me. What? I, I think it's because peekaboo dolls scare me in general. Before this, before I ever saw this movie, before I even thought about like before this movie was a thought in anybody's mind, I've been terrified of them like as long as I can remember. Is because I used doll? to remember, yeah, that's what because in before you see him like dancing around, he's literally like propped up against the wall. Who still has yeah. those in their house? I have no fucking idea. Renee, apparently. But <laughs> like I used to see those when I was younger. Like that used to be a thing. And I remember. 
I don't know if like we were in a shop or I can't remember if we were at somebody's house, but I flipped it around and it didn't have a motherfucking face. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm fucking terrified of them from <laughs> then on. And so now as soon as I saw it, I was just like, no, ma'am, I know what you are, you little motherfucker. <laughs> I've been fighting you since I was five. Uh, yeah, my grandma had two of those dolls and they were, yes, they were very terrified. Punch them directly in the face. Like, so... You know how in the clown episode you were talking how you were going to walk up, you would walk up to the statue and be like, fucking move, bitch. I'll fucking punch you straight in the face. That was me with these peekaboo dolls. I'm like, fucking say something, like move, like twitch. I'm Stormy being so aggressive to these poor dolls. I'm just punching the shit out of them constantly. Throwing them down, fucking (laughs) like, I know you can feel it. Say something. (laughs) I know you feel pain. Uh, Yeah, I did. I mean, I enjoy the song, but I don't think that's one of, I don't know, that's probably like my least favorite scene in the movie, to be quite frank, because um, it's obviously, and James Wan's typically really good at like putting together like a very suspenseful scene. Like he really builds up to typically like really good scares, like in The Conjuring, um, when uh, that, when the witch demon is on top of the dresser, like that buildup is very scary. And like, even like, I, he just does he does really well with those types of scenes typically like the clapping as well uh but for some reason this one just didn't pay off because the scare was he had, like the little kid just jumping out of the dresser at the end and it just didn't i don't know it felt like a waste of two minutes personally mm. i disagree but that's what we're here for uh but yeah so that happens uh the lipstick demon makes his presence known at this point lorraine is like baby we gotta bring in the baddest bitch in the game miss elise uh, Miss Elise, uh, she said, <laughs> I'm She like walks in, Lynche looking like the baddest bitch in her fucking cardigans and her fucking. And she literally has her bitches behind her. She literally comes in with two bitches, two men that mm. are just fucking, they just do whatever she says. And honestly, that's how it should be. She is a legend because she has Lee Winnell, who's adorable in this movie. I love Specs. He's so cute. And um, Tucker, who's played by Agnes in this movie, Agnes Sampson, I believe, uh, who quite. Honestly, I think it's very funny. And we, me and Austin, my boyfriend, we watched uh, a TV show, a Hulu original that he was in as well, that he does fantastic in. So he's uh-huh. a great actor. And they are a fun little duo. They bring the comedy to the movie, obviously. The little comedic relief. I'm gonna be honest. I did not realize that it was Lee Winnell playing Specs until I watched the second movie. Ma'am. I know. I just, I think I just have him like, okay, Lee I love you. You're iconic. I I know you're never going to fucking hear this, but I have him set up in my head as like little bitch Adam from (laughs) (laughs) Saw. So like me seeing him in any other light and like having a crush on specs, like did not compute in my brain. Like (laughs) <laughs> my brain was like, Lee Winnell is not hot. So <laughs> it like blocked the knowledge from clicking until I saw it. No, I told you that he was cute in that movie. And he comes into this movie being just as adorable. And then Lee Winnell also has given us so much um, as well. He's phenomenal. And I don't know, he's one of my favorite parts of this movie. I mean, I really, honestly, truly, everybody does really well in this movie, except for Patrick mm-hmm. Wilson. His performance does not do it for me in this movie. Again, he's beautiful to look at. And I understand character-wise why he really isn't giving much emotion. Right. Uh, but I mean, maybe, maybe it's the point that he feels like a disconnect from everybody else, which would make sense, but... Ugh. And I think it sets up for us to make the end twist so fucking obvious because you can see how different he is. You can see... How weak he is. Right. So I think that's, 
I mean, it's obviously done intentionally and I think it's done really well. Yeah, I mean, especially if you tie it into the second movie, I mean, it all comes together in a very cohesive story and it works out perfectly. And I quite honestly enjoy him immensely in the second film. He is amazing in that movie. But yeah, in this movie, again, obviously they set him up as being disconnected. He's disassociating from everybody. He's weaker, obviously, because his memories were suppressed. So obviously the woman in black, as we know them in this film, doesn't come back and try to enter his body initially uh so mm-hmm. obviously he's weak and they again Elise comes in she reads the house she draws out the demon for them first Joss isn't feeling it he's not about it obviously he's triggered and right he's, he's, he's not having it uh but for whatever reason he goes into Dalton's room because he's still in a comatose state and at least that's let us know obviously that he's actually projecting initially into a realm that she caused the further which is awesome. And that movie, the movie was originally going to be called The Further. I'm very happy they didn't call it that. Uh, but I kind of love the introduction of The Further because at this point in the movie, we are pretty much kind of hitting the formulaic uh, Haunted House movie. Like we're hitting the beats. Mm-hmm. It kind of feels very familiar. Even the first time that I watched this movie, I was like, I feel like I've seen this movie because yes, everything was great. Everything was done well. But again, it just felt like in the other Haunted House movie. Mm-hmm. And the, the introduction of The Further kind of gave it like a breath of fresh air. Um, that I think mm-hmm. at this time in horror wasn't really a thing, I would say. Uh, kind of taking mm-hmm. the traditional haunted house film and kind of switching it and turning it on its head. Obviously, it's not the first movie to do something like this because it's very obviously heavily inspired by poltergeists. Like this movie is like legitimately like it gets so much from that movie. Uh, but it's a nice modern interpretation of it. And I quite enjoyed the further. And it makes like the funny little ghosts that we see throughout this movie. Because at first I was like, these ghosts are kind of silly. Uh, but it's nice to know that they're kind of silly because they're all just in this other realm. And they're kind of all just drawn to the weakness of Dalton pretty much. Well, and I like the depth that the further brings to the movie because um, there's just so much more to face value, if that makes any sense. So it, in the further, there's the red door. And if you study psychology in any type of manner, you're going to encounter the red door because it's the red door of your subconscious. And that's where you start to lock away your trauma and all the things that you don't want to talk about and the things that like you kind of have to battle through to to get back to at some point. So it's kind of, I don't want to say a simile, but like they're kind of a reference for one another. Like this can be a whole other discussion over mental health and like how that can be addressed at a really young age. And it's really important for us to foster that. And if you don't foster that, as you see with Josh, then you start locking things away and you bring up generational trauma. And so it's, I just really love that there's so much more to this movie than just a scary horror movie. Yeah, and uh, Lee Winnell, of course, uh, was a screenwriter for this movie, and a lot of what he brings, and a lot of his films kind of have. Uh, I mean, I mean, we can see it off the off like the uh, like straight out the bat with Saul. Like he, when he writes things, there always feels like there is a deeper meaning to it. It definitely feels like he adds um, levels to his films intentionally to not only have us relate to his characters in a way, but then that way we can also understand that there's a bigger world which is why his movies are still like, literally are still happening like there's a big extensive world to his films because he adds this layer to it that can be built upon and the further obviously was a huge mechanism to be able to make multiple films in this series because it allows for there to be different aspects to things and for people you know to also look into it a little bit deeper i mean the red door like you said it is 
very on the nose in terms of being able to overcome your trauma and, you know, escape the further initially and kind of come back into yourself or, you know, whatever his intention was there. But he does phenomenal in that initially in the stories that he, you know, writes. Obviously, and then teaming up with James Wan, who just makes everything look very gorgeous. I love the further because of just how gorgeous it is to be in it. Mm -hmm. Obviously, everything's dark. (laughs) There's really not a lot happening. But like the directing and the cinematography in those scenes, it's just, it's great to me. I don't know. It's fun. And it just, it switches the movie up in a very, very refreshing way. And it really kind of draws your attention. Because as you're kind of, kind of, I mean, at this point, you're kind of losing interest. Again, the scare that happens like kind of, well, a little bit earlier before this, like with Tiny Tim and like the little boy. Like for me personally, I'm kind of losing interest. And then when all this happens, it kind of reinvigorates my interest in the film. And it just, it knocks the rest of the movie out of the park pretty much. Yeah, I feel you. Personally. But yeah, I mean, at this point, at least pretty much forces Josh into the further. It's the only way they can save Dalton. They got to get in there before this aggressive ass red faced bitch gets him. Uh, <laughs> so at least puts him into a trance, uh, puts him into the further. And he pretty much goes off. That's when we get to see uh, the Neon Demon's whole crib looking gorgeous looking stunning <laughs> i'm lipstick demons and welcome to mtv cribs <laughs> look at all my trinkets <laughs> i mean also before josh goes further we also get the most insane seance scene like i've ever seen in any movie ever so good Elise is literally in a fucking gas mask. Right. Honestly, I want to hotbox it. That was literally my first thought when I first saw this. Um, But also, I don't want to be Specs wearing the fucking headphones, listening to Elise whisper in my ear. That just sounds like terror. Like (laughs) It sounds like comfortable. It sounds like my hairs are going to lift. I'm not (laughs) here for that. I, I don't care for the seance scene either. Listen. Again, we'll get into like the verses at the end, but this scene also doesn't do it for me. I feel like it goes on way too long. Um, like it, like even when he starts writing out and he's just writing and it's just taking so long. Fucking to get to bitch, the bitch, bitch, fuck, help, 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 help. And I was like, okay, like, can we fucking stop? Like every time I watch this movie, I just like I fast forward because it just I can't. It just it bores me. But then everything the shit hits the fan, and then you know it you know breaks down but i'm not a fan of that scene i personally like it with the i don't know for some reason whispering like makes me i don't know it feels like somebody's running their finger down my spine i don't like it (laughs) and then the idea she's whispering and he's like fucking scribbling as fast as he fucking can and those lights are just popping off it just raises my anxiety and so i really enjoy this scene so it's always fun to contradict you (laughs) Agree to disagree because I don't I don't know. It doesn't do much for me. Uh, but the movie breaks down after that point. Obviously, everything happens. Yata yata yata. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, again, like you said, kind of coming to the ending, it's kind of expected to twist. Like obviously, Josh and Dalton are maneuvering their way through uh the further while the family, while the ghosts are obviously trying to get into the real world and the family at home are trying to like do what they can to hold them back uh but obviously at this point josh and dalton separate and they each have to like fight their demon initially <laughs> literally um, <laughs> literally fight their demon they're literally fighting demons here <laughs> um i will say i always fucking laugh when the lipstick demon like fucking fool the liquor from resident evil crawls across that wall so crazy after dalton um, his tail <laughs> i what the fuck is honestly like hit me with it but <laughs> at the same time like 
what the fuck? I don't know. Every time I see the tail, like flick a little bit, I kind of get taken out of the movie. I'm like, hold on. (laughs) Like, what the fuck was that? Yeah. Like he is full force a demon. Like they did not hold back on his design. Like (laughs) let's make him just what you think a demon looks like, Mm -hmm. Um, which is fine. Again, like it's, I don't know. It's a fun aspect. Now kind of looking at him and watching it a few times. He literally looks like Anakin as a demon. (laughs) No, oh, sorry, no, Darth, uh, Darth Maul. Maul. Darth Maul. <laughs> yeah, very Darth Maul. A little silly. He looks a little silly now that I watched this yeah. movie, uh, or I've watched it a handful of times. But I mean, it's still very impactful the first time you watch it because it's still like, what the fuck is happening? Right. Uh, but yeah, they escape. As far as we know, Dalton's a fine. You know, he comes back. Everybody loves Elise for coming like the baddest bitch and doing what she had to do. Uh, but yeah, at the end, obviously, Josh is possessed and chokes her out at the woman in black (laughs) by the woman in black well she takes a what is it she takes a picture of him and that's like his one trigger since childhood is he can't have his picture taken so she takes a picture and it's straight up a woman in black like there's no joshua left (laughs) it's creepy it's very creepy and quite honestly the first time i watched this movie i was i mean because going into the series i knew that lynn shay was in she was in all these movies so i knew like she was a staple of the series and she quite honestly i think is the best part of these movies she's really really oh agreed 100 percent. she's fantastic um it's just her energy that she brings to the screen she's amazing but kind of coming into this movie again not having like fully watched the movies but knowing of the series i was fucking gagging when she died like i was fucking You're like hold on <laughs> Clutching your pearls. I was sweating in that house. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, not Felix Diamond like this. What is happening? So it's a great ending. I really do think it's a fantastic ending. Again, it wasn't the biggest twist, but it definitely leaves the movie on a very uh, exhilarating cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you feel about the ending? I feel like I am, while it's predictable, I enjoy that we didn't get the quote-unquote like happy ending because I feel like that's kind of a staple of a lot of movies that kind that came out around this time is like oh they defeated the bad guy and everything's cool like yeah it was scary but we still got the job done and you get that feeling for I don't know a good 2.5 seconds until I think uh until Renee looks at the camera and it's literally the woman in black instead of her husband (laughs) um I really enjoy that I hate it sounds so cynical. I hate the happy ending. I like if I'm if I'm gonna watch a horror movie, I want to be sad. I want everybody to die. I don't <laughs> like. I don't know. I agree. Um, I I mean, when it comes to movies, first off, they're not real. So obviously, you know, Hollywood's gonna give us whatever the fuck they want. But when a movie right. can kind of bring something that does feel realistic in a sense, it really makes the movie more impactful in a really, at least for me personally, in a very positive way. Like with this movie, like if you're really thinking about the situation, if it's a real world situation and this is really happening, why wouldn't one of them be possessed? Why wouldn't one of them, I mean, especially since these ghosts are hanging around them this entire fucking movie, like it would make sense that one of them would become possessed in a sense. So this person has been stalking Josh since the eighties. So (laughs) yeah, literally his entire life, he has been stalked by this demon. So it makes sense. I mean, this whole kind of, I mean, obviously it's all orchestrated by the woman in black as far as we kind of come to know to try to kind of get back to Josh. Um, So it makes sense that he would become possessed. And I do like that ending. Um, The gasp at the end is a little corny, but you know, (laughs) she gets the job done. But then you get the violin and that 
fucking starts the anxiety all over again personally so so good i quite honestly enjoy the first insidious like an immense amount it's really really fantastic yeah while it has its moments where you're just like okay um i got taken out of it or okay i kind of want this scene to be over i it's still really enjoyable it's rewatchable um like even with me i've memorized pretty much the whole movie but I still enjoy it every single time I watch. But yeah, I think it's great. I really, really enjoy this film. Um, and I don't know. I mean, we might as well just get into the second one because we'll probably be talking about the first one anyways while we're talking about the second one. Uh, and just kind of tying everything together because there's a lot to talk about, but we'll kind of get into that. So let's go ahead and just jump into the second movie. Hey everybody, so if you're enjoying the podcast so far, definitely look into giving us a rating. It would be really, really beneficial. We're open to ideas and feedback. It really goes a long way. So go ahead and look into giving us a rating. Again, we're on Apple, Spotify, Podbean, and many more places. But for now, let's go ahead and get back to the show. Insidious Chapter 2 is the 2013 sequel to Insidious and features a returning cast of characters. After the massive amount of praise following the first film, it only took a few years for director James Wan to get back into the director's chairs for the next installment. Taking place immediately after the last film, Chapter 2 focuses on the Lamberts following the death of Elise. The trust that the family has for Josh quickly begins to fade, and the spirits from the further seem to still be present. Originally released on September 13th, 2013, the film was not as critically praised as the first, but was still capable of making an impact that only carried the series, no pun intended, further. Made on an estimated budget of about $5 million, the film would go on to make about $40 million its opening weekend. From there, we would see a worldwide gross of about $161 million. James Wan returns to direct, and the cast of the first film also returned to reprise their roles. So, Insidious 2, Stormy. Now, I, I mean, I guess I kind of dropped the bomb before we went to our... Uh, to our little break, that I quite thoroughly enjoyed this film. Although I do feel like the first film is overall, I feel like it's better, maybe. But there's a lot in this film that I enjoy tremendously. I feel like the scares work better in this movie. I feel like this movie's a little bit uh it's a little bit more engaging as a film. I didn't like feel, I don't feel like I'm falling asleep as often in the first one. But the ending of this movie kind of sours me a little tiny bit. I've kind of grown to be I can accept it, but beyond that, I think this film is fantastic. Um, I, for a really long time, I had a true attachment to the first film. And because of that, I think that's why I was like, no, Insidious one's the best one. And I, no one can change my opinion. But now rewatching it with a little bit more, I don't know, maybe critical eye, like for the, watching it specifically for the podcast, I found myself actually enjoying part two a lot better to me uh i mean we know how i am as an individual who enjoys his films uh i really enjoy character development and i just feel like in this movie we already of course we've come to know who these characters are but they also just do a lot more i feel like like barbara uh hershey gets so much more screen time in this movie she does a lot more as lorraine in this movie than she did in the first so they do a lot more with her which i love um Specs and Tucker still continue to be funny but I think the biggest difference for me in this film is Patrick Wilson as Josh because in the first movie again I understand like the point of his character in that movie 
but you know the disconnect there is very apparent and obviously i know character wise why he's like that but i like that we come full circle in this movie and he plays like the nasty evil possessed uh parker crane really well i feel like yeah it's funny that you like josh a lot more in this movie because he's not josh at all (laughs) (laughs) I just like what Patrick Wilson's doing as an actor in this movie. And he's he giving a shit. Terrified. Oh, no. <laughs> but it's true. When he's not himself, he's great. But when he's a generic, boring father figure, I'm over it. Boring white man. Yeah, he's a boring <laughs> white man. And he plays that part a lot more in a much more intriguing way in the Contrary movies, you know? Yeah. So he just, he does a lot more in this movie. And I think it's really enjoyable. Now, I will say that this movie does have some spots in it that I just don't think that don't work really well. And I think one of the big things for me, uh, and it's like a little thing, but at the beginning, we, the first 10 minutes of this film, of course, is a flashback to Josh as a boy when his mom brings Elise around for the first time when, you know, the woman in black is like constantly around. And I hate, I completely hate the dubbing that they do uh, for Lynn Shay. I hate it. It just, there's such a big disconnect. Obviously, it just looks so muddled and it just, it's just so silly to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that there's an overseas version of the film where her dubbing isn't even in it. It's the original actress just like speaking the the lines. I would rather have that because, and I love Lynn Shay. And, you know, at least they got, that gave her 10 more additional minutes of, you know, being present in the film because she's not in this film for too much uh, or too often, but it just looks stupid to me. Yeah. I never realized it in like in my first watch, but I definitely noticed it now that I'm watching it for the podcast. It's kind of embarrassing, I feel <laughs> like not like it just it just doesn't look good. It's just odd that somebody like James Wan, who we're so used to giving us like iconic films and just bringing amazing scenes to screen that he it just seems overlooked. Yeah, it's a little sloppy and not even like it's bad. I feel like in terms of dubbing, like they do fine, like, you know, the words match the lip movements. It's right. not bad. It just, it doesn't. It doesn't feel organic. It doesn't. In the because slightest, it's not. But... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we do, we get a huge like 10 minute opening in this film, uh, throwing us back again to Josh as a child. We kind of have that whole idea of what happened to them uh, or him and his mother, of course, which led them to calling Lorraine. And of course, leads into the, the rest of this film. But we do, we, this film picks up right off, uh, right after the second movie. Like Renee's being interrogated by the police because, you know, immediately they're like, Josh is a suspect because uh, he clearly is uh, the individual who did kill her. But like, we're right, we're thrown into it right away. The, sh- you know, the spooky shit happens immediately. Like Renee gets like terrorized by the woman in the white dress very quickly in this movie. So it's just like right off the bat, it just, they don't fuck around in this movie. Don't you dare. <laughs> oh, MG, that scene makes me laugh. And that's like one of her, that's a little bit later in the movie too, because then I hate it. I also hate that. Also, this, this movie She does it twice in the, this movie. She slaps her twice? Well, she says that line twice. Oh, yes. She says it pretty mm-hmm. frequently. Although this movie has, I don't know, it's tough. I, there's The scares in this movie hit a little bit better for me but then there's stuff like that which i think it's it's just it's kind of stupid like when she gets slapped through that table it's very stupid (laughs) i love that part what i hate it for whatever reason i don't i couldn't tell you i just don't enjoy that had to have a reason to knock her out like a way to knock her out so i mean i guess you're right it just see it just looks silly you know, whenever you're getting slapped by bitch, honestly, bitch slapped honestly. by ghosts, uh, I would fall dramatically too. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, this movie altogether, uh, again, it just it further builds off of what we already has seen in the first movie. Um, I do enjoy that Lorraine kind of teams up with Carl, who we come to know, who's a friend of Elise's. He can also, you know, interact with the spirits and what's not. Uh, but him, Lorraine, Specs, and Tucker go on a whole expedition, you know, trying to contact, uh, like, their whole subplot in this movie. It feels really random, but it, like, works really well for whatever reason. But, you know, they're trying to contact Elise. They're trying to figure out who killed her. They're trying to figure out, like, what's going on, like, what malicious spirit is at play here. And, like, their whole side quest is great. I feel like I love the scene with the dice uh when they're contacting elise for the first time do you hate the scene with the dice no i was trying to you said the scene with the dice and i'm like that's a major plot point i was trying to figure out which one we're talking oh. about <laughs> oh, well, the, the first time like the first like seance that they have where they try to get a hold of elise i think that's great i think it's scary mm-hmm. uh, and it's such a different way i mean personally i have never seen something like that like try to contact the spirits through like a pair via of, like, dice yeah <laughs> it's really interesting it's kind of clumsy i feel like because i mean i'm assuming there's every letter of the alphabet there but i feel like it's really hard to get messages that way but it works obviously Right. I, you need multiple vowels. Right. You're really taking, you're taking a crapshoot, which I mean, I guess is the point, but he's like, <laughs> it's not an exact science and starts throwing it again. <laughs> it's very, uh, again, it's a fun scene and I enjoy the dice and uh, I don't know. Again, it's a little silly. And I think like, you know, it's going to be hard to get clear messaging when you don't probably have, like you said, <laughs> enough like letters, uh, but it works. It works perfectly fine. Um, I guess to kind of stay away from the family from a little bit, from the Lambert family, they're just kind of knock out the others <laughs> and what they're doing because they, they're trying to figure out Louis, uh, who killed Elise. Elise, you know, is kind of leading them in a certain direction. And they pretty much come into contact or they kind of start uh, realizing what well, at least Lorraine does, that there's a connection to a man that used to be in the hospital that she worked at, an older man by the name of Parker Posey. Oh, no, Parker Posey, that's the actress from Scream 3 who played. <laughs> Okay, listen, I was on IMDb earlier and I was like, I love Parker Posey. And I was going through her filmography and I was just so she's on my mind. Um, but yes, Parker I think Crane. it's one of those things where we always have to find a way to put scream in. So just in the back of your brain. <laughs> always, I'm always thinking about it. Uh, but yes, Parker Crane. And um, you know, the story kind of starts to unravel itself and we kind of come to very quickly honestly yeah it was like really fast I mean like I'm sure they had the idea of who this character was going to probably be from the first film because you know the woman in black uh figure was in the first film uh like or just hiding in corners pretty much but that they, they came in the this film they completely you know flesh out the character uh parker crane and i mean again i mean the character that and i guess we can maybe get into that discussion a little bit later because there's a lot to unpack there uh, but kind of just looking at like the story aspect of everything one of my favorite scenes and i think it's just because it reminds me of like something you would maybe like read on like no sleep you know, like the no sleep Reddit or something like that. When it's a flashback, obviously, because Lorraine's working in this hospital. Uh, Parker Crane's in the hospital is one of the patients that she works with. Um, Josh obviously has an altercation or a run-in with Parker. And then the next day, Lorraine's in the elevator. Parker walks in beside her. And they're just there. You know, Lorraine tries to have a co- like a casual conversation and Parker's giving nothing. Go girl, give us nothing. Uh, but they get off the elevator and then Lorraine's like, oh, she runs to the front desk nurse. Um, but she goes to the front desk individual or nurse, I guess. And she's like, you know, what the hell is this patient doing out of their room? And the front desk nurse is like, oh, well, sweetie, he's dead. He died. But a Taylor Swift moment. 
And like those little scares like that, they just always work for me. Again, it just feels like I'm reading something at 3 a.m. in my bedroom or something. And it just, right. it hits different. It's not like a jump scare. It's like one of those scares that has to set in. And I love mm-hmm. that shit. It's one of my favorite little scenes in this movie. It reminds me, I don't know if you frequent Reddit very often, but it reminds me of the uh, Let's Not Meet Reddit stream. I don't know what that is. It's just say like a bunch of scary stories about like meeting terrible individuals or scary individuals interesting you know what we should do like an episode devoted to like the no sleep reddit perhaps because there's a lot of horror stories that like originated on that subreddit girl i've been trying we cancel it every time <laughs> oh we do huh we've been trying to do a creepy process <laughs> for a bit huh? and I'm yeah. like, push it back push it back we'll get to it we'll get to it a we, year we need to because there's one um that i read on there and i read the whole fucking series on that subreddit uh called the i think it's the left right game have you heard of that one it sounds familiar but not off the top of my head i don't know the whole story it's crazy like it's this thing like if you get in your vehicle and i think it takes place in phoenix i think because the way phoenix is set up like it's a weird grid and you can turn left and right pretty often you know like in most streets you're probably not gonna be able to keep turning left and right but -hmm. the idea is like you just you go you turn left and you have to make a right turn and then you have to make a left turn and you have to make a right turn and eventually it's going to transport you into like another world another dimension and then when you go into that dimension like you have to stay on that road because if not then you're pretty much fucking dead it's crazy i I had heard that they were going to do like a TV series or a film on that story. And I haven't seen any of that come into fruition in the last couple of years. Because after I finished reading that story on sub on the No Sleep subreddit, I went and looked it up. And this was like two years ago. And like there was like talks about them turning it into some type of series, I believe. But I haven't seen it come to fruition. But I would love to talk about that in detail. Can't wait. But yeah, so I just enjoy their scenes thoroughly. There's also the scene where they go, where they kind of discover uh, Parker's room i guess you can say mm-hmm. where the black dress is that fucking scene scares the shit out of me when they go into that room and there's just everybody in that room sitting down with the f- fucking sheets over there oh they're rotten just disgusting corpses just sitting why did i get the vibe that this is like a church for some reason that's what i pictured was just like church pews <laughs> everybody's <laughs> lined up <laughs> it's very that and it's scary to me it's the most unsettling thing and it also give uh it also gave me a little bit of uh sinister vibes uh almost like the snuff film kind of feel oh. that sinister does like it's just these dead mm-hmm. bodies that are there and it's of course like it's a pov shot it's a handheld shot that were given in that scene and it it gives me like sinister vibes it gives me like that uncomfortable like i shouldn't be watching this type of vibe. Poughkeepsie tapes. It just gives me that kind of vibe, you know? Yeah. I don't... Mm-mm. Listen, just breathing in all those toxins, <laughs> dead people de- decomposing. So mm. gross. So disgusting. Disgusting. But uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if like toxins exist in the further, so... Well, they're not in the further there, right? That's the real world. Oh, no, you're right. Yeah, because they can... Because um, Specs is literally like gagging. Yeah, yeah, he starts, like, choking immediately, which I don't blame him. He said, I got asthma. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, those characters are great in this movie. They come back just to kind of be there. Um, uh, But they don't do bad at all. And Specs and Tucker, again, hilarious. Uh, There's another scene with them, too, when they're, like, in the in the van when we'll get to that in a bit oh where they're supposed to say where they're listening for the safe word (laughs) so stupid stupid. Uh, another thing that makes me laugh in this movie again I know they're trying to give 
the characters, I think, a little bit more to work with. But when Lorraine or Barbara just like randomly starts walking around the house, like that's me every night, just like walking around the house, staring at every corner. Like she walks around for like six minutes and like nothing is going on, nothing's happening until she has like there's a jump scare with Josh, like behind the bathroom door or whatever. But like she just walks around, does nothing. Oh, but there is that one scene too where she's sitting there, uh, where Lorraine's sitting there. I guess it kind of pays off because she's sitting at her little vanity. And you can see the woman in white come up behind her and like the door shut. And then that's when she opens it and sees Josh. Um, let down just seeing Josh there like that. But that buildup was pretty intense. Again, James yeah. Bond does really well with like those slow buildups. But sometimes they can be silly. For me personally. Like it's a good buildup, a disappointment at the end. <laughs> Not a disappointment, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It happens. Uh, it, it happens in both movies. Like there's so much greatness. But then at the same time, there's just like stuff that seems kind of corny to me personally. Um, and that's just one of those scenes where like it's a good build up and then it just kind of like whatever payoff like the peekaboo kid in the first film where like it's a good build up and then it's whatever payoff I would still punch him directly in his face I don't blame you I do not blame you now the Lambert family has a lot going on in this movie obviously again Patrick Wilson is a possessed man in this movie possessed by the spirit of Parker Crane and just the fact just the way he starts to look freaks me the fuck out sick so sick so scary i kind of feel bad for renee in this movie or rose's character because she doesn't really do too much um you know she has the first little scare with like the baby chair at the very beginning and then like nothing else really happens for her the rest of the movie she's just kind of there just kind of hanging out until the end uh the baby gets kidnapped by <laughs> a woman in white i feel like that's traumatic enough and she gets bitch slapped into another dimension <laughs> but she doesn't like do as much i feel like they kind of dropped the ball with her a little bit in this movie uh just I, I just love rose Byrne, and in the i feel like in the first movie a lot of it was i mean at least the first half was like her obviously being terrified in the home building up to like the end and everything so in this one they, they kind of dropped that a little bit she's kind of i mean she still goes great and she still does amazing in the movie but like she's kind of just a motor where she's she's scared enough to tell lorraine like this is still happening like please tell me that you see these things too and then Lorraine goes off on her own ghost hunting adventure and we don't really see Rose that, or uh, Renee all that often. So I agree. Um, but like I said, she's kind of just a motor to keep things going. <laughs> yes, very that. And then Josh starts losing teeth and that is the most foul thing to me. Yes, dude. He's, he's decomposing. Decaying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, he's decaying and it looks, it looks terrifying. It really, really does. Um, and there's a scene too near the beginning where Dalton is like sitting at the table. Is it Dalton? The one that was in the coma? Yes. Because Foster's the one that's awake. Okay. Where Dalton's sitting at the table and Renee's talking to him. And Renee obviously at the beginning too is a little uncertain about Josh as an individual at this point. Uh, but at the very beginning when Dalton's like, you know, I had my scary dream with grandma. <laughs> uh, you know, she came into the room and there's somebody behind her. Like I'm still a little bit uncomfortable. And, you know, and he like initially is like, you know, and dad is a little strange and then like, <laughs> <laughs> and then like josh is standing in the doorway and i think was just really it's a really cool little silhouette shot of him just like standing like in the doorway and it's terrifying and i love it i love that shit um there's a part i think josh is like laying on the couch and you can just see like i love the way that they contoured him to like literally look like he's like turning pale and like um just like losing all definition to his face. He's just coming like sunken in in general. Yeah, and he's terrifying in the movie. He really truly is. Like he is. Like his journey. He just gives off like 
the aura of not being Josh. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like a very intimidating aura. And that's impressive to me. I don't know. Because we see him be such like a frail little bitch. Yeah, kind of. In the first movie. He is. I mean, he goes into the further without hesitation. So, I mean, that he did, I did more than I could probably attempt to do. Oh, yeah, for sure. But he's still a baby bag bitch and doesn't believe (laughs) his wife. And I don't know. Yes, he's annoying. Uh, But yeah, he does great in this movie still. Like, his whole journey is terrifying. Obviously, everything kind of starts to come together because, you know, Carl and Lorraine, Specs and Tucker eventually discover, obviously, that the spirit that's at play here is Parker Crane, the woman in black, if you will. Um, and obviously they're like, oh, well, you know, Josh is possessed. we got to get Renee out of there. So, you know, Lorraine takes, or yeah, Lorraine takes Renee out of there. And that's when they, we have the whole ridiculous scene where they're trying to uh, tranquilize Josh uh, to be able to, you know, try to help him. Uh, so Carl goes in there by himself. And to me, which is one of the most like intense scenes, I feel like in the movie. Right. But they give us through the most ridiculous scene directly before that, where they're trying to agree on a fucking safe word. And I'm like, why is that me, though? They're like, I thought it was going to be quesadilla because we could bring it up in conversation. I can't remember what the first one was going to be, though. I forgot. Yeah, they're so stupid. And I do enjoy Specs and Tucker, but it does kind of suck because to me, it's one of the better scenes in the movie uh, mm-hmm. leading up to Carl's inevitable death in that scene uh but it's one of the best it's the most like intense josh is amazing in that scene he is so fucking terrifying um carl he does great playing off of that uh it's great it really is and yeah it's sandwiched between two silly scenes with specs and tuck because even when they try to come in to save the day it, it just it just seems like two it's like the two stooges it took them so long to run up that front lawn Man. well and then like Carl's like, I'll be sure to let you know that I'm in danger. Oh yeah. <laughs> they have that Scooby-Doo moment where like they specs and Tucker like look at each other and they make eye contact and it takes them a while to like scramble out of the van. And I'm like, this is the most early 2000 Scooby-Doo I've ever seen. <laughs> I need a great Dane in there. And then we're set. We're mystery incorporated. <laughs> uh, but it's great. It really is great. Uh, just with them sitting at the couches and having their whole dialogue it's it's terrifying and obviously then finally carl gets up and we get to the point obviously where josh comes in with his hand behind his back and it's scary because carl's like why don't you ask your dice (laughs) (laughs) mom says that you had the dice and she said you did really well with them earlier at the house it's just creepy it's so creepy and he throws his dice and it's like knife and it gives us a we didn't need that much of a zoom in but it surely zooms in on the word knife well and like the spelling is so precise yeah. on that one like before like the letters were all spread out like you kind of had to like decipher what kind of like message we were trying to get across but this one plain and simple he's got a kenife behind his back and you gotta watch out <laughs> Listen, and um, also, I don't know if Parker Crane was like a minor league baseball player or something, because he's fucking shocking <laughs> shit at people in this movie. Like, he's like, you know, there's a knife, and he fucking whips it out. He looks like fucking, he just looks like a ridiculous person ripping that knife out. And then with all his force, like 90 miles per hour, fucking just chucks his coffee mug at the bookshelf or like the wall behind uh, Carl, and it just explodes, and he just fucking... <laughs> He looks like Debbie saw in Scream too, which he just like looks so crazy with the knife, and he's like right. runs at Parker or he runs at Carl, and like he starts choking him out. He must have also been like a fucking an independent pro wrestler or something, because he immediately gets him in a chokehold, chokes this old man out. He's the end for Carl. Well, and the thing is, is like Parker Crane 
he's not a he's not a spring chicken you know what i mean like when he died he was old as fuck and so i don't know i'm just impressed with his agility in his late age but i mean i guess i don't know do you take over like josh's strength at that point well that's another thing too and i was going to question that because in this movie he possesses josh's body which has been like his goal since josh was a boy anyways um because it kind of gives me like Chucky vibes, obviously, like with Charles Lee Wright, who's trying to possess Andy because it's a younger body. So that gives him some, you know, time to, you know, I guess like live his entire adult life. So that would be my assumption is this demon uh, or Parker Crane, the spirit is trying to get into Josh when he was a younger child. And then that way, because he, he didn't have a childhood, first of all, first off, yes, that, yeah. but then he can also, you know, grow and develop over time. But when he possesses Josh as an adult, like he immediately, again, like we said, starts decaying and like his teeth are falling. Yeah, out so he's decaying, but for some reason he's super strong and can fight Carl, who seems to be like a fairly healthy man in his probably like late fifties, early sixties. So I'd, I don't really understand how that works, but it's paranormal. So I guess there's really no rules if we're being honest. <laughs> I mean, true. Yes. But yeah, Carl gets choked out. Specs and Tucker come in and are just useless as all hell. Just so useless. They do try to tase him and it doesn't get them anywhere. <laughs> I just don't. They're a mess. Tucker girl. gets stabbed in the leg with the tranquilizer and falls on top of Specs. <laughs> They're so dumb. They really are idiots. Uh, but obviously, I mean, at this one, we also know that the real Josh has been stuck in the further since the end of the first film. So Carl, again, dies, and he wakes up in the further, and Josh is right there waiting for him. He said, hey, girl, how's it going? Who are you? <laughs> I've been waiting for you. Yeah, I was, like, waiting for him. And then so they were like, okay, well, now here we are. And then they kind of go on their own little journey to try to find Elise, pretty much, and they try to get some help or try to figure out what the fuck is happening. So we get, of course, you know, akin to the first film, we get a whole journey through the further. Josh and Carl are doing their thing. And eventually they do come to find Elise because they do go back. And this is kind of the fun connection that we have in the Insidious series. Because in the further, like you're jumping between timelines. Uh, they go back to the first movie. They go back to, you know, when Josh was a child. And we're seeing these things. Because obviously it's teased at the beginning when Specs and Tucker seeing like the VHS tape, like Josh as an adult standing behind him as a child. Mm-hmm. And so they go back and, you know, they have that whole moment. They go back to the beginning of the film in which they were trying to, you know, when younger Josh was trying to lead older Josh to where he needed to go. Um, We have a whole bunch of those tie-ins. And one of the ones is, of course, when they go back to the first movie, when all the shit's breaking down in the house, when the door's wide open, uh, when that weird ghost with the white (laughs) paint on his face is in their house. And we, you know, find out that Josh and Carl were, like, running around that fucking house and, like, making a lot of those bumps in the night, girl. It's fun. I love that, like, connection that they do with these movies. Mm -hmm. I think that's why I love this film so much, is that they really tie up a lot of loose ends. Um, cause I think we discussed it when we talked about the first one, but, um, I feel like standalone insidious, the first movie could, it's good. Um, it's a complete story without continuing on to chapter two. Like it, we could have ended everything there and it would have been a good installment to the James Wan, like filmography. (laughs) Right. No, it's true. But now then when you start seeing that, like, it was actually Josh that set off all of the alarms and like everything like that. um, I don't know. I just it makes the series itself all that more enjoyable for me. I agree. I agree. And it makes and it makes a decision for me, at least personally. It's hard to say which one I like more over the other. 
because um, there's things that I really enjoy in each movie and there's things that kind of just bore me in both movies also. So that's why, I mean, they're rated equally in my mind. Like I can't distinguish one without talking about the other, which is why we wanted to do like a double feature like this, like a full blown discussion of both movies. Because again, I can't, they just make sense together for me. Mm-hmm. And, but it's true. Like if we're looking at them as standalone films, I feel like the first one, like you said, it's more just a, its own cohesive story. It doesn't need the second one at all. And the second one needs the first one. Like mm-hmm. it's going to fail in comparison just on that merit alone. But a lot of it works. And I love that the tie-ins, because I mean, the tie-ins make the first movie better. You know what I'm saying? Right. So again, they just kind of feel like one and the same initially. But yeah, they're on this crazy journey in the further. And this is when fucking Elise comes back. She looks like- She's I'm, like, hey girl, missed you. <laughs> she fucking just fucking charges in like fucking Thor, the thunder god. Because that, <laughs> that fucking, that demon ghost thing is attacking them. And she fucking just charges in like nothing and throws it out the window. And she's like, whips her hair back and forth. And she's like, oh. <laughs> Uh, I'm just uh, I'm just here in the further just you know beating bitches asses hey what's up it's me Elise I heard you calling my name so <laughs> yeah. I didn't go into whatever the next part of this world is she's like I've been waiting I've heard your calls I'm here yeah I love her it's like they sent a bat signal out into the fucking further <laughs> and Elise is like here I come uh-huh. hauling ass with her fringe <laughs> girl literally barely in to knock this fucking thing mm-hmm. out the window like no fucking remorse and i think uh have you seen the third movie no i'm pretty sure the third movie focuses a lot on her upbringing and there's a part in that movie not to like spoil it but there's a part where it's like she's like okay i don't want to spoil it but she goes ham on a few d <laughs> in that movie uh, <laughs> she goes ham on a few demons she's been doing this since a child <laughs> <laughs> she's been doing this for as long oh that movie explains it what she's been doing but yeah nice. she comes in barely like a fucking bat out of hell she's like i'm fucking here she's like i'm tired of these demons <laughs> <laughs> so even in my fuck even dead i can't fucking catch I can't escape these motherfuckers it's like i couldn't die and just go to fucking jesus he's fucking put me in further she's like you know we all pass through here some at some point and she's just jesus like, says skirt send her back <laughs> to the middle real quick girl i can't do but yeah, so they're on this crazy journey trying to obviously figure out what the fuck's going on with Parker, what's going on. And as they continue through the further, they kind of come to the realization of what is going on with Parker. But back in the real world, Renee and Lorraine come back to the house, uh, expecting, I'm sure, Josh to be, you know, knocked the fuck out on whatever tranquilizer that they're trying to give him. But they walk in, and he's just sitting at the table, so creepy, just sitting there. And his the dice are there. So Lorraine immediately knows something's up with Caro. And he doesn't even fucking hesitate. He fucking hops up and chases these poor women around this house like a crazy person. And this again, when Lorraine's, I think, taking out of the equation uh, for a bit. And Renee at one point too, when again, I don't know what fucking team he was playing on back in the day. Fucking just takes, what is it, like a pot or something? And he just fucking chucks it across the <laughs> yeah. room and knocks her clean out and she falls just straight ding. to the <laughs> <laughs> It fucking sends me to the moon every time. It's so hilarious. But he starts choking her out, calling her a bitch. And then the boys come in. They come back from, I don't know, like soccer practice or whatever. Those poor boys aren't doing too much. They do have their own scenes, especially Dalton uh, in his room with like the little, what is that thing called? Like the little cup messenger thing oh the cup on a string yeah when all the yeah where it's going into the fucking closet no ma'am that's just very scary that seems very scary it's just like we are many and she's like who are he's like who are you and she's like we are many and then she just runs out of the closet i was like no and foster's (laughs) 
Honestly, I want a child like Foster because he just sleeps through the whole thing. Not bothered. He's not bothered by all these demons. He's just snoozing, man. <laughs> no, no care in the world. Literally no care in the world. Uh, but that seems pretty good. But beyond that, like the boys don't do too much in this movie, uh, you know, but they do come back. They save their mom. Uh, and then Josh just chases around the house. They go down to the basement and they pretty much just wait there till the end of the movie. But back in the further, we do come to the realization, obviously, that the woman in white that we've been seeing is actually the mother of Parker Crane. Um, there's been some instances in the film, too, where there's like a little girl or who we perceive as a little girl. They scare Tark, uh, Tucker and Specs at one point as well, which is such a silly scene to me when they're in that room and they just like walk right out, which is I mean, I would handle the situation the same, but it was very funny to me. I love how uh, Lee Vanilla is like holding the camera backwards so <laughs> yeah. he can see what's going on. But he's like, I ain't turning around to see that with my own eyeballs. No, ma'am. <laughs> it is very funny. Um, but yes, coming to the realization here at the end of the movie, uh, again, where the woman in white is Parker's mom, and initially, I guess has some type of falling out with the father, I don't know, and then looks into trying to make Parker uh, dress up in what you can say is traditional girl clothing, putting him in dresses, um, you know, making him wear this wig. Uh, but again, it's hard to say. I mean, uh, Parker's journey as a villain in this film is um it's interesting to say the least i remember i i recall the first time i watched this movie i wasn't the biggest fan of it and uh, you know i don't even know if you know gendering them as he is even i mean i don't know how parker identifies and i don't think parker really had the opportunity of being able to express themselves as fully as they could have as an individual but you know the villainous character that they're portrayed as in this film is it's a little upsetting i think it's a very common thing in the world of horror and we've kind of seen it beforehand as well uh with like sleepaway camp and the silence mm-hmm. of the lambs where individuals um who of course can be looked at as transgender individuals are put in the position of being evil villainous murderous people and that in itself just it just it's 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 an awful position to put these characters in like when we're talking about representation within film especially queer representation trans representation this isn't it like this is not what we're looking for this is not what we want and you know these huge mainstream films that everybody talks about you know silence of the lambs going to the fucking oscars um sleepy sleepaway camping like huge cult classic at this point and then you know the insidious series itself just being such a huge thing like to have these characters be presented as the evil ones, the villains. It does, it adds like a negative outlook. Connotation. Yeah, yeah, it's awful. I don't enjoy it. I don't think Lee Winnell as a scriptwriter, met any ill will with this. Cause I mean, I guess you can even look at it as, I mean, if you want to look at it in the aspect of just overall gender within the day-to-day life, like, you know, everybody's born, whatever, you know, sex assigned is at birth is then going to play into how you're going to be forced into a gender role. Um, so that in itself can be looked at in a negative manner. Like we come into this world and know, oh, you're a boy. This is what you're going to do. You're a girl. This is what you're going to do. And that in itself can be toxic to individuals, even in a healthy household. You know, you're told this is what you are. Um, so, I mean, you can kind of look at it in that regard as well. But I, again, I don't think Lee Winnell would, you know, I don't think he meant any ill will with this character at all. But again, it's just like the negative aspect of what is still being presented yeah it's just rough because it's not even it would be more i don't know how to word what i'm trying to say like it's not parker's own journey you know what i mean like it's being forced upon him right and 
I don't know, to bring like the transgender ideation into it is a little rough just because I can't word what I'm trying to say. But that's the thing is like, I mean, for us, like we can see it as, you know, him being forced into being forced into, you know, whatever role that his mother was attempting to force him into. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can look at it as, you know, he never had the opportunity of being able to fully express who he wanted to be as an individual. Um, you know, we never he never got to, you know, I mean, I mean, at that time frame, you know, people weren't letting people know what they identified as or what their pronouns were. That wasn't a thing back in 2013, even. But, you know, he still never had the opportunity of being able to go on his own journey. And we can kind of make that. We, you know, I guess as individuals who, you know, seek representation for the queer community and, you know, we can kind of distinguish that and kind of maneuver around, you know, the writing of it and maybe look a little bit deeper, but the general public is going to, they're going to come into this and they're going to say, oh, there's a boy dressing as a a girl and they're crazy and they're going to kill people. That's just what the general public is going to perceive the character as. They go in there and that's, they like take it at face value and they go out into the real world and encounter a transgender woman. What are they going to think immediately? They're going to be like, oh, I'm, I'm terrified. It just, it just, it builds up on that negative stigma that's already been set in stone for these people. And it sucks that, you know, things like this, although, you know, again, and we can try to look deeper and we can try to understand it on a different level. But unfortunately, a lot of people are going to go into this and not do that. At least, you know, whoever is, you know, out of the $160 million that movie made, a lot of those people probably are going to take it as face value and move forward and just go out and spread a bunch of nasty negative shit out into the world, unfortunately. Um, I'm glad now that we can look back on a film like this, you know, almost 10 years later and kind of see maybe, you know, maybe what Lee Winnell was trying to do with this in presenting a character that can be looked at maybe in a sympathetic light because never he never had, I mean, he's still a murderous individual who still killed girls dressing up in that black yeah, dress but he did it <laughs> he did it all because of the fucking generational trauma from his mom and so yeah i mean who knows what he would have become if he had just been left alone by his mother to become whoever they wanted to be yes so in a movie standpoint in a story standpoint the character and the development of the story it all works. It works perfectly fine. It's a cohesive story. Uh, the story of what Parker did have to go through is sad, but... I'm so glad that you're my partner because, honestly, you just fucking take the words that I have in a jumbled fucking egg scramble in my head and put them out there for me. Because I'm just sitting here, and it, I think that's why we work well off of each other, is because even when I'm fucking being a bumbling mess, you know what I'm trying to say, and you put it very eloquently, and I'm very glad to have you. I mean, I attempt to try my best. Um, it's very difficult to kind of maneuver around that because, you know, I'm one voice of many and I can't even, you know, try to kind of look at this, even like from a personal standpoint, you know, although I'm on my own journey, I haven't had the journey that a trans individual might be having. And so it's hard for me to kind of come from a place of personal experience as well and seeing a character like this on screen. I mean, unfortunately, you know, well, not unfortunately, but, you know, even within the queer community, um, you know, even seeing something like that, it, you know, it awakens something in a child as well, you know, say, like, oh, you know, well, that's, they're, 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 they're different than, you know, what most people are. Uh, but I try my best to at least, I guess, try to kind of just display how, although it's, it's a cohesive story in the film, it just, it can still be just looked at in a really, I don't know, it just still isn't my favorite kind of thing, you know? Yeah, it's still, Put forth very messily, I feel like. 
and this is kind of like operating off of like when I first saw this film as well. I think it's like mm-hmm. kind of have watched it a few times since then. Um, I can kind of take it for what it is and just kind of move forward. Because again, I mean, I don't think it's an awful story that's being told. I don't think that, you know, something like this wouldn't, or, you know, this story isn't an interesting one. The aspect of what we are given in terms of what could be looked at as transgender characters, even though, again, I mean, we don't know how Barker identifies. We can't say that for certain as to, you know, what was trying to be presented here. But again, it just adds to the negative connotation of what the media displays. And it, it's just years of it. There's just years of that negativity to individuals who, you know, to boys who are, you know, dressing as girls or whatever it may be. Like there's that negative connotation to it. And this film just kind of added to it a little bit, although it didn't maybe do it as much. Like Silence of the Lambs and is a whole other thing. And I think they added to it in a much more worse light than what this movie is doing for sure, for sure. Like there, I think there was a lot more harm done there than there is in this movie, but it's still, it just adds to, you know, years of misrepresentation in the media. But again, now, you know, like what, like eight years later, we can kind of look back on it. We can see the little growth that there has been, especially in media, especially with uh, TV shows like Pose, which is like amazing. And just like the positive stories that are now being told for transgender people and with individuals like uh, Laverne Cox, who can come out here and who can be presented in popular media and be a positive reinforcement to who these people are because they are people. But it's not bad. You know, I don't hate the movie because of it. It just, you know, (laughs) all that, you know, all that in a bag of chips. Right. Like I said, I'm glad you're well spoken because. Not even, not even. I was blah, 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 blah. It just, you know, but here we are. The movie ends, whatever. Uh, everything's good. They save Josh. Uh, you know, at least, oh, I also gag of, and I just fucking scream when, uh, Parker's mother just fucking like shoes off Carl and, <laughs> and Elise and they fucking just fly out through the door into the nothingness. Like that makes me laugh every time. Honestly, she's kind of iconic. She reminds me a little bit of the character that just came out in the, uh, is it the final fantasy game that just came out with the super tall, Oh, no, Resident Evil. Resident Evil, I'm sorry. Yeah, she kind of gives me those type of vibes. So I have like the smallest bit of a crush on her, but she's also a very terrible person, so... Although her makeup is uh, ghostly, white. It's still a bit fierce. She's still looking great. She's still looking, you know, stunning. Waist is snatched. Yeah, waist is looking petite and just, yeah, she's looking great or whatever. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, we get a happy ending for the Lambert family. You know, they, that closes the chapter on them and they move on and we never really, I'm assuming we don't hear from them again. I've never seen the fourth movie, so I don't know what's happening there. Um, I love that Elise is just, goes to Carl and is just like, "Uh, you don't belong here, so go ahead and scurry on. (laughs) she said she now all of a sudden has the power to just resurrect the dead i guess right (laughs) i was like okay at least like go off i guess (laughs) she is literally i like they just fucking when they need something done in the script they're like just put at least they god modded (laughs) (laughs) least that's exactly what i was gonna say i was like she's like a god yeah that's it that's literally what they do but when she she's the plot point they're like how are they gonna get out of this situation Elise. Elise. <laughs> how are they gonna how's Carl gonna come back to life oh Elise like that's just what they're doing it's very funny but you know in series chapter two it's again it's I there's a lot in this movie that I thoroughly enjoy I think I guess you can objectively say that the first film's a better film because it does stand on its own it 
Um, it sets the pace for the series and it's a starting point. So I think I can understand why a lot of people enjoy that one thoroughly. There's a lot in the second movie that I really do enjoy. I feel like it's a little bit faster paced than the first film. But I think I enjoy that, which is weird because I don't mind slow burn horror in the slightest. But for some reason, just between these two, it just it's a lot more fun to me. So I think I I like it a little bit more in terms of what I'm sitting through. What is your favorite scene or like favorite moment? In both movies? Like out of both? Yes. Mm -hmm. I think the most obvious answer would probably be the lipstick demon, like the first reveal in the first film, because that one just kind of sits with you. Um, Mm -hmm. But I do think truly honestly like my favorite scene is it's hard there's a lot of good scenes in the series it really is tough uh to pick between the two i want to say carl and josh having a discussion because just josh he just scares me in that scene mm-hmm. and he just he makes me laugh when he whips the knife out uh but that scene just really makes me unsettled damn i also really enjoy again like the uh the POV shot the first person view into Parker's little like dungeon of dead bodies uh, mm-hmm. that's also very terrifying to me as well I don't know Storm what would you say and the second one I feel like it would be the shot of Elise just bashing uh <laughs> <laughs> their face in with the rocking horse oh, yes. um iconic I live for Elise if I'm half the woman that she is at her age or at her age when she died. Um, I've made it. I'm successful. We love that for her. If I'm not at least the demon slayer in my, in my <laughs> the demon slayer. In, her, in some in some sort of purgatory, then I'm just gonna be disappointed. Right. In the first one, I don't know about my favorite, but the most unsettling for me is like a toss-up between the peekaboo doll just because my trauma earlyhood early childhood trauma with those peekaboo dolls um between that or like whenever josh is walking through the further like in the very beginning and we encounter like the whole shooting scene and like all three of them like cock their head and like smile super big at the same time whenever he turns around and looks at them super unsettling for me so I guess overall, I think it's easy to say that probably the best scare in both films is the Lipstick Demon reveal in the first one uh, when he's behind Josh. I think that's the best orchestrated, the best directed. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that just might be objectively the best scene in the first two films combined. And I think that probably would be my first choice for the first film. And in the second film, it would just be it would be the Carl and Josh scene just because I believe, again, Josh freaks me out in that scene. Fair enough. But yeah, there's a lot to dissect with Insidious Chapter 2. There really is. Um, of course, our good friends over at Horror Queers even have an article up about discussing from a few years back when they discussed this film as well. And they also have a discussion in terms of the Parker Crane story arc and just how they kind of look into that as well. So if you want to check that out, you definitely can. Again, there's a lot to unpack with these films. And again, I people, I think, may now kind of come around to the Parker Crane story in this movie and maybe not dislike it as much as I guess like me like I don't enjoy it too much and like Stormy said as well I mean in the movie again they're orchestrating his abuse could be what's causing this but again we don't get enough backstory on that we don't get enough um, of a story for Parker's life and like we get one scene of abuse and it's a terrifying scene of abuse uh, but we get one scene of abuse so we, we just don't have enough to kind of work off of but either way it's still great I really enjoy the movie uh, so we had to put them up against each other Stormy which one would you prefer or which one is your favorite? Versus Insidious 1 versus Insidious 2. Chapter 2 is my favorite now. 
it's a lot more fun. I do agree. I do like to just a little tiny bit more than the first mm-hmm. film. I think, I mean, girl, we can come back a year later and I could have my mind could be switched. So don't fucking take what we say seriously. But right now in this watching, for this discussion, I like the second one a little bit more. And I almost feel like it's unfair to pit them against each other. Because if you think about it, they're really just one long movie. Also that. But I hope everybody enjoyed our, uh, our welcome back. <laughs> our big insidious episode. She's going to be a long one. I mean, she is a long one if you've made it this far. We're back with the bang. We're back with the with the wand. Oh, yes. I tried I tried to make that a pun. It didn't work. <laughs> I just went with it, too. I'm so, I'm so supportive. <laughs> you are. <laughs> um... But yeah, so great, great stuff. Love it. Loves that for us. Right. We're, we have a very special guest coming up soon. Next week's episode will be really fun. More Lee Winnell next week. More Lee Winnell. We We really, (laughs) we really just set up May to be a Lee Winnell month. (laughs) Notice us Lee Winnell. Uh, He's off of Twitter, so he'll, he'll never. (laughs) So my He'll never are find now us. Reduced. Yeah. Right. Now he would have to like, he would have to be in some weird special part of the internet to come to our links popping up somewhere. So I'm also very upset that he left right before spiral. And I mean, I know it's probably intentional, but I also just want to tell him I love him and I appreciate him. Yes, <laughs> it's true. Honestly. And we can't reach him anymore. <laughs> uh, his people can reach out to our people or our people can reach out to his people. We are our people. <laughs> mm, okay. Mm. Okay. On that note. <laughs> <laughs> Where can people find us, Stormy? You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at the same handle at slash underscore her underscore pod. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and plenty of other places under slash her. Stick to stick with us for more Lee Winnell. And honestly, a the summer's going to be a blast. So get ready, bitch. Thank you for joining us for another episode and allowing us to take some time off for our birthday. And we love you so much. And stay spooky, guys. Stay spooky, everybody. Bye. Bye.